0: Hi everyone, thanks so much for tuning in. Before we get started, I just have a few short messages. First off, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. This podcast It's the best way to help us grow and help me get on bigger and better guests. Also, don't forget you can pre-order my book, To The Moon, The GameStop Saga, right now by following the links in the description below. We've also got a few quick sponsors for the show today. Are you sick of recording meetings or calls on Zoom, OBS or Zencaster and being hampered by the quality of your internet connection? I had months and months of recording podcasts during the last 18 months where I was at the mercy of my internet connection, an unreliable countryside connection that really, really didn't come through when I needed it to. So what was I to do? I'd spoken to several podcasters about how they dealt with the issue and one even had a satellite installed, one moved house, and a few were asking guests to record locally and then upload the file later on. And All of these just seemed far too difficult to pursue higher quality video. However, I was tearing my hair out until one particularly fruitful Google search brought me to Riverside FM, a program that allows you to record HD or even 4K video locally and then uploads it automatically to your online studio. From there you can download a video composed of the two sides of the conversation or download them individually. Best of all, if the upload fails part way through, the video is saved locally so you're safe in the case of a glitchy internet or a computer crash. It was an absolute godsend for me and I had been lamenting for months about the pure quality of my video. However, now I have a solution. Links for everything will be in the description below. So check them out and then please enjoy the podcast. Right. I believe we are live. Hopefully um, people can let me know that they can hear me. I hope they can. Um, It seems like they should be able to at least anyway. So today I have the absolute pleasure to be joined by Greg Foss. Greg, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. So, uh, why don't you just like give people an idea of of, of who you are, just like a, a short background, just so before we start, so the people that don't know or aren't familiar with you can can sort of understand sure. where you're coming from. Okay,
1: I'm uh, I'm I'm uh, currently located in Toronto, Canada. I'm 58 years old. I got three kids. I'm very concerned about the future of the fiat currency system. I've been trading risk for over 35 years, both professionally and for my personal account. I cut my teeth in the high-yield credit space, which is otherwise known as the junk bond space. The junk bond space has probably the best analysts. It probably has the best risk return calculators in the world. It also has an asymmetric return opportunity to the downside, which is because when you buy bonds at new issue, you typically purchase them at at 100 cents on the dollar. And if things go swimmingly, you earn your coupon and the bond at times may trade up to maybe 115 cents on the dollar. But the downside is everyone knows is zero. Uh, That's when there's no recovery rate in the event of a uh, restructuring or a, a default What I do remind you is if the bonds are not worth 100 cents on the dollar in the event of a restructuring, the equities were zero. And therein lies my thesis for a lot of the foolish equity investors in the world who don't start their analysis by looking at where the bonds are trading. And we had a little conversation prior to this about some of your good passes, but perhaps you put capital to work in the wrong part of the capital structure if you were very bullish on the outcome of the enterprise value. But let's not go there right now. Let's just say that I've cut my teeth in the credit markets for 30 years. Credit absolutely leads equities. Why? Because credit has a prior claim on equities. Credit is a much bigger market than equities and credit is traded by much smarter people than equities. Okay, full stop. I've done it for 30 years. I've used equity markets as my pounding bag. When I'm sitting on debt, that is not going to be worth 100 cents on the dollar, and there's still a bid by the foolish equity guys that think, oh, well, it's got to be cheap because it's traded down from $10 a share down to $2 a share. Guess what? At 2 bucks a share, it's still worth zero unless my bonds are worth 100 cents on the dollar. Anyway, long story short, I term myself a risk manager. I've traded risk for over 35 years. I use the equity as the credit markets as my uh, looking glass. If everything's okay in equities, it's only because things are okay in credit. But when things are not okay in credit, equities get flung around like the tail on the dog. because. Equities are the tail and credit is the dog. And if you don't understand what the dog is doing, please don't invest in equities. You're going to get your head handed to you. Yeah, so I'm here to discuss risk return. I'm probably here to discuss Bitcoin, I hope, because that's my newfound passion. Mm -hmm. But thanks for having me and uh, there you have it. And hate mail, send all hate mail to my DM. I respond to most (laughs) of it. But at the end of the day, equity market participants are generally fools. Okay? Got to be clear about that. Equity market participants are generally fools because they don't look at where the prior claim in the capital structure is trading, yet they make an investment decision irrespective of that. I call that a fool. DM me, people. Thanks for having me.
0: Let's go. Yeah, man, this should be fun. Um, I mean, I love having controversial people on the show. It always gets the best reactions. Um, I mean, I had uh, Kurt Wukert Jr. on a few weeks back, who seems to be one of the most hated people in the crypto space um, because he believes that Craig Wright is... um, it's Satoshi Nakamoto.
1: Yeah, whatever. Yeah, He's an idiot. So we'll just keep going. We'll, we'll, we'll pass on that. Okay. Uh, but uh, look, again, let's focus on what we do know and what we can prove versus what is, uh, you know, subjective and, uh, you know, somewhat hearsay. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, focusing on whatever you want to talk about. I do want to talk about risk and return and asymmetric trade opportunities or investment opportunities.
0: Mm hmm. Hundred percent. So, um, one of the things uh, you just mentioned there that I was curious about, actually, just to start, was you said that credit is a much bigger market than equity. How much bigger are we talking here?
1: Uh, four to five times larger on a uh, on an enterprise basis and an enterprise value basis. So, if total global equities is one is a hundred trillion, which is high, it's more like ninety trillion, but let's say it's a hundred trillion. Uh, total global debt is four to five hundred trillion dollars. And by equities, you mean uh, just companies? Publicly traded, publicly traded
0: stocks. Okay. Yeah, just just for anyone that's not not listening to me. Yeah, so, you know, you
1: can bring the private markets into there, and then we got to do a lot of assumptions and whatnot. But uh, publicly traded equity markets around the world. Okay.
0: So why... Does credit lead equity? That was this one of the statements you made there. So, like, what yeah. is the mechanism there, and why does it? Why did why why is credit leading equity, and why is that not discussed more? Well, very. It's
1: a great question. Look, um, capitalism is built on leverage. The banking system is built on leverage. Uh, your commercial banks, either in Ireland or Canada or United States or anywhere around the world, are generally over 20 times levered to their equity base, which means for every $100 of loans a bank makes, only $5 of that loan is held as equity capital or risk-absorbing capital. The other $95 is in deposits, uh, whether they're retail deposits, interbank deposits, where you get deposits from another bank that has excess deposits or subordinate debt which means every single loan that you make cannot lose more than 5% of its value or you are chipping into the contributions of deposit holders, right? So why would we ever, why would we ever not consider the equity of a company uh, or the trading value of The credit of a company before we looked at the equity. Banks are the same. You got to look at the credit of a company. So if a company borrows debt and we'll take GameStop or we'll take AMC, GameStop doesn't have AMC. AMC, the bonds traded down to one cent on the dollar which meant those bonds had a hundred times of upside before the equity was even worth anything. And yet, where did everyone run? They invested in the equity, which is fine because the equity holders made a return. There was a short squeeze, probably gave the bondholders chance to buy more bonds that traded down to one cent on the dollar. The point is the risk adjusted trade was in the bonds, not in the equity. And I congratulate all the equity holders that made money on the equity by squeezing the shorts. Some of whom were bondholders that had shorted the equity, but I tell you the right rate, the right trade was if you were gonna go outright long, was to buy the bonds at 1 cent on the dollar. And that's because the prior claim of the bonds meant that you needed to get 100 cents back on the dollar in the event of a restructuring, 100%, 100 cents back on the debt dollar before the equity had any claim to residual proceeds. That's how finance works. Debt has a prior claim. You better understand where the debt is trading before you invest in the equity. Yet most equity investors don't. And it's unfortunate because a lot of times it works in reverse. The hedge fund I used to work at, I would use the equity as a pounding bag and say, hey, I just bought some bonds at 60 cents on the dollar and they're still bidding the value of this equity up to a level that makes no sense in the recovery rate scenario. And in the event that the debt recovers its value to a hundred percent apart, the equity still isn't worth where it was trading. So you take a short position, either through put options or you outright short the, um, the stock on a delta hedge basis. So look, it's a fact, okay, that credit markets run the world, whether it's bank stocks, whether it's things like the TED spread, which is the Euro dollar versus uh, treasury bill spread, which is an indicator of stress in the funding markets, you have to be up to date on all of these uh, uh, various open market uh, funding prices. And when the credit markets start to get sick, the equity markets get destroyed. We've seen it in four different financial crises in my life. 1988, Latin American debt. 1998, long-term capital management. 2008, the great financial crisis. And 2020 COVID, Mm -hmm. it wasn't the equity markets that were puking. It was the credit markets and the credit guys were using the equity markets as a hedge and a pounding bag. Right. Okay. So I have several questions. Um,
0: First of all, I want to clarify what you've said so far to make sure I've understood here. So, um, So essentially your your basic thesis is that like people shouldn't invest in a stock unless they look at the the how the debt is trading. So there's you're saying that at one point, or maybe perhaps still, that the debt on, on AMC, for example, was trading at one cent on the dollar. So that means that they have bought say a hundred thousand dollars of, of debt for hundred or for, um, for a thousand
1: dollars. Yeah. Let's use a million. Right. So so typically, you know, if it's debt will trade in as low as a hundred thousand dollar increments, but you use a million and one hundredth of a million means you had, you could buy a million dollars worth of debt for $10,000. Right. Wow. That's sort of cool.
0: Yeah. That's that's, You're
1: buying the stock as an option, which could you know, skate its way into profitability, but until the debt goes back from $10,000 to $1 million, your equity purchase is for knuckleheads, retards. I don't know how else to say it. If you had $10,000 of capital to invest, where should you have put it in the stock or in the bonds, the bonds at one cent? Dang, I know where I would have put it. Promise? how many of your guys knew where the bonds were trading? No, it's not listed on an exchange. No. Is it open you don't to understand? retail investors at all? Pardon me? Is,
0: is that is that market open to retail investors whatsoever?
1: You have to be tapped in, yeah. But uh, no, not generally. That's the difference. Bonds trade OTC, over the counter. Yeah,
0: yeah. So then, so, right. Say I was tapped in, right, theoretically in january and i had decided that um gamestop was a really great company but the debt was trading very very poorly or the amc was a really great company and i expected it to survive the current prices of the stock or okay. not thing and i went and i thought okay i'm gonna buy the debt like what at what point so this is what i'm not, I, i'm i can't pretend to be well versed in bonds so yep. um then say, so you're buying the bonds of the, the, the issued by the company in order to raise capital. When can you say...
1: No, sorry. The bond, the company was not raising money at one okay. cent on the dollar.
0: No, the no, 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 I, I issued, got that right. Yeah. So they've, okay. they've issued it and the bonds sort of go in. So say they issue, um, let's say, yeah, a million dollars in bonds. And then the bond... No, a hundred million. 100 and, the
1: bo- and the total value of a hundred million was trading for one million dollars. Okay.
0: So... Say we that's happened. Um, it's gone out into the market. It's now been valued by the market at one cent on the dollar. And then, what point can the investors who buy that get their money back? Like, is there a, can they force it back, or does it, the company have to decide they want to buy those bonds
1: back? Oh and- no! I mean, the market trades on a secondary basis, but what you have, what you own, is a contract. Right? This is a contractual obligation for the company to pay you back. Okay. And there is a maturity on it. And sometimes the companies can get actually smart and say, dang, I'm going to buy it back myself, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to retire $100 owed at $1. Seems like a smart trade by, for me, but most CFOs don't even follow the trading of their own bonds. It's really, really, Josh, it's really a misunderstood asset class. And it's not, you know, again, it's just underfollowed by everyone except sophisticated institutional investors, including the CFO of that company. Imagine if he had, you know, a million dollars just sitting on his balance sheet. Wouldn't it have been wonderful to retire a hundred million dollar obligation with a million dollars of cash on his balance sheet? Mm. Yeah. But he probably didn't even have a clue that the bonds were trading at that level. And how long did they trade at that level? It doesn't matter, it hit a dollar. What if it's traded at even a $0.10 cents on the dollar. You'll still have a tenfold increase in the value of your investment before the equity claim is worth anything. Now, the equity claim becomes an option over time. And as that debt price increases, the value of the equity increases in lockstep because it's an option that it'll be able to pay back the $100 and then any residual cash flows accrue to the equity. That's all it is. It's a splitting of the cash flows that a company earns between its contractual obligation, which is the debt, and its equity holders. Non contractual, but they are the residual. They get all the upside. A bond will never pay more than its coupon. Oh, things are going really good. We've decided to increase the coupon to the bondholders. No, that doesn't happen. All of that accrues to the equity guys. But the flip side is also true. If things are going south, the guy that recoups his money first is the bond holder. The equity holder is not entitled to any residual claim unless the bonds are made whole. Okay. This this this
0: is like making fabulous amounts of sense, actually. Um, the, it, it actually makes a lot of sense in... Um, Because so earlier in the year, um, GameStop bought back a whole bunch of their, they, they cleared a whole bunch of their debt. Mark. So, yeah, yeah. but I hadn't, I hadn't put together like what, like, okay, aside from a company not wanting to have the debt, obviously that's.
1: Don't forget every single CFO in a going concern business should use leverage to a certain extent because that leverage enhances the return to equity investors. Why raise more equity if you can raise fixed coupon debt at a lower cost to your capital base and that lower cost accretes to your equity holders if, in fact, the investment you make with the bonds Mm. earns money for the enterprise, right? That's it. Mm, Definitely.
0: Um, So to move towards Bitcoin, and uh yeah what your new favorite passion so um how did you end up going from someone working in risk and and yeah credit markets essentially okay. to to deciding that you wanted to like get out of the financial system or the 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 industry like as it, yeah. as it were and then end up in bitcoin um, as like your new passion project like was was Bitcoin there when you left? Did you leap to Bitcoin or was there like a, a, great a period in between?
1: Can I give you a long answer? So I graduated from university uh, in 1988. I, I'm Canadian. I went to school in the US for two years, uh, did a business degree and then came back to Canada. My first job was uh, working for Canada's largest financial institution, which is the Royal Bank of Canada. And Royal Bank of Canada in 1988, I was working directly for the CFO on special projects, okay? We were gonna do mergers and acquisitions. We were gonna do capital allocation. We were gonna do risk adjusted uh, analysis for the profitability of our loan book. But one of the first projects that I worked on was the restructuring of our Latin American debt portfolio. And Royal Bank of Canada was like every single other money center bank in the world, Uh, it had made loans to Latin American countries uh, in U.S. dollars because of the petrodollar, uh, the the returns in petrodollars because of all the money that was coming out of uh, the Middle East due to the um, uh, increased oil prices. Petrodollars were being recycled into loans to third world countries. And amongst those, Mexico, Brazil, Argentina were large borrowers Royal Bank of Canada had a portfolio of loans to these uh, Latin American borrowers that were trading on average at 25 cents on the dollar because these loans had defaulted. Okay, these companies could not keep up with their U.S. dollar interest obligations because of a strengthening U.S. dollar. And at the end of the day, they all defaulted, trading at 25 cents on the dollar. Now, prior to this, I told you that banks only hold five cents on the dollar for loan losses, and these things had lost 75 cents on the dollar. Royal Bank of Canada was insolvent, Josh. I don't know how, ever, how else to tell you that the global banking system was fucked, F U K K K K K -K E D. Okay. Absolutely screwed. And nobody knew it because they didn't do math. They didn't do simple math. There's your first drinking game. Okay. You didn't do simple math. The Royal Bank of Canada was insolvent, and so were all New York Center, New York Money Center banks. Very simply, if you only hold $5 of capital against your loans and they lose $75 of capital, Man, you're in big trouble, right? Well, listen to this. At the end of the day, I said, why do people have confidence putting their deposits in Royal Bank of Canada? The answer, like everywhere else around the world, oh, the banks are too big to fail. The government will bail them out, right? All true. Governments always bail out the system. How do they bail out the system? They print more money. In 1988, I said to myself, this is a Fiat Ponzi. This whole Fiat thing is a Ponzi. I didn't have the solution and I didn't turn into a gold bug. And I certainly didn't go to the newspapers yelling that, you know, the banking system was built on uh, or held together with masking tape and bailing wire, right? 25-year-old kid, he's going to, you know, not going to work in the financial markets for long. But since 1988, I've been looking for a solution to the Fiat Ponzi. I worked in hedge funds. I traded credit. We went through the crises that I had mentioned in various ways. At the end of the day, I retired in 2016 because we had just completed the greatest trade I was ever part of coming out of the great financial crisis in 2008. And I put my hand up as a 50 something year old. I guess I could do the math. 2016, I was 53 years old. And I'm like, look, I'm done. First of all, I was beat up. We had done amazingly well, but the credit, the stress of trading credit is something you bring home night and day. There's no watching a movie at a theater when you're sitting on a bunch of hundreds of millions of bonds of a company you're worried about won't make it. Okay, so You can't be watching a movie. It's going through your head. All you're thinking about is the bonds. Your wife looks at you and goes, well, how'd you like the movie? You're like, Oh, it was great, wasn't it? You didn't even watch it. You were just thinking about this fucking position you're sitting on, okay? So basically, your life gets absolutely uh, wrapped up in these various trades you have on. And I said in 2016, my body can't keep doing this. And we had just completed an amazing trade, and it was time to get out. And so I got out, and I was going to be happily ever after accepting the fate of the financial system to go and blow its head off. And then I found Bitcoin. And I could not believe what a beautiful technological innovation this was. And I'll state this as truism. I thought Bitcoin was a Ponzi as well, based on everything I had read in the informed media. Oh, it's got to be a Ponzi. Well, then I peeled the layer of the onion. I went to a, or someone showed me the uh, blockchain in action at tradeblock.com. And I'm an engineer. And I looked at this and I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? And no one controls this and I can transfer value anywhere in the world and it'll settle in 10 minutes. And it's math and code and it's near and dear to my heart and it solves the Fiat Ponzi. Damn, I can't retire. I'm all in. (laughs) I'm all friggin' in. And I did thousands of hours of homework on this and I still am learning. And this is the most beautiful asymmetric trade and investment opportunity I've seen in over 30 years of managing risk, okay? I'm not 100% certain that Bitcoin will succeed. What I am certain of is that fiat money will continue to debase. Fiat money will continue to debase because the debt spiral that we have built up It is mathematically impossible to escape that debt spiral. Fiat money needs to be printed to solve the debt spiral. And that means fiat money will continue to debase. That I'm 100% certain of. What we need to do is we need to hedge ourselves against that. And till now, Bitcoin, I have not found a better solution than Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the hedge to the fiat Ponzi that I've been looking for for over 30 years.
0: So what what makes you say that Bitcoin isn't a Ponzi scheme? Like, what was it that you looked at that made you say, okay, this thing is the solution to our problem? Okay, so
1: again, 21 million, math and code, scarcity. Look at the blockchain in action. Watch the hashes going across that are put into a block that is verified every 10 minutes, as well as all the prior blocks. Look into the beauty of a distributed ledger, decentralized, no control by any single party. Look into the ability, which I'm sure you've done, of me sending you Satoshis that settle in ten minutes. Have you gone to your local bank lately and tried to send an international wire transfer, <laughs> dude? It's a friggin' joke. Okay, it really is a friggin' joke. First of all, you'd think it was their money you were sending, not even your own money. <laughs> and then they don't settle for seven days. And if you get the address wrong, it's on you. There is absolutely no accountability in the in the legacy financial system. It is a fucking joke. Sorry to swear, oh, but I got to call out the Ponzi where the Ponzi is. And Bitcoin is not the Ponzi. The Ponzi is the legacy financial system. Mm.
0: So we had someone just ask in, in the comments there, uh, why do you think it is that people don't
1: see the value? Because Some people do. Yeah, and oh. by the way, right now, Bitcoin trading at 60,000 is probably one of where I think it should trade mm. in today's dollars. If people did the math, it should be trading at over $2 million of Bitcoin today. So I'm not telling them it has to trade there. But if I do the math and I look at where I think the price will go, in today's dollars, it's worth over $2 bucks US per coin. Some people see value at $60,000. i am just telling you, it's a rounding error compared to where it could go. And that's why it is the best asymmetric opportunity I've ever seen. Hmm. I mean,
0: that was my next question is, was it, is it, is it still that opportunity? Um, but, but yeah, why?
1: yeah. Well, it can go up 50 fold from here. It could. Is I- that? That's horrible. Oh, geez. I really want to make a hundred fold. Dude, come on. The U S 10 year is yielding 1.6%. It'll take at 1% compounded per year. It'll take what is it? Almost 50 years for you to double your money. 50 friggin' years in bonds, yet you have this trade that you can get 50 times your money. Not double your money, 50 times your money in today's dollars. What is it in 50 years? Gosh, it's probably, you know, 200 times. Yeah. Yeah. So just don't overthink it. Like really don't overthink this. This is an asymmetric trade that will define your career. Do I say put 100% of your money in it? No, I'm not advocating that. But if you own zero, you're a fool. You're an absolute fool. And by the way, if you own zero Bitcoin and you still own bonds, you're a fool squared, okay? (laughs) You're a fool squared because bonds are a contract to lose money in real terms. High yield bonds, the biggest joke I've ever seen. And I spent 30 years trading them. You're gonna lend to companies on average at 4.6% prior to them prior to losing money on defaults, which is an expected cost of doing business and high-yield bonds. And after you subtract inflation out, you're at negative returns. Good on you guys. You're superstars. Fucking fools. You're fucking fools. Okay. And I can't say it any other way. I'm getting sick of trying to say it politely. You are absolute morons. Come at me. I've spent 30 years in that market. You are wrong and you're an idiot. Sorry. Don't worry, man. That's, that's
0: all right. Uh, I feel like I'm getting some therapy session here for you. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, I, 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 I like most of what you said, the things that I understand myself, I agree with, like, the rest of it i'm believing you because you seem to know what you're talking about um, but the, the this idea that the fiat currency is a ponzi scheme is one that like i've tried to to explain to to like parents or older folk and they're just like oh it's just magic internet money and i'm i'm like you just don't get it man like yeah
1: uh, um the actually it's math and code okay it's the first it's the base layer of language what is the base layer of language Mathematics. Okay. Whether you speak English, French, Chinese, Spanish, Austrian, or is that even in language, German or whatever they speak, German, Swiss, you know mathematics. And I, as a Canadian or English speaking Canadian, can speak mathematics to a Chinese person. We can't even communicate at the second level, which is our mother tongue, but we understand math. Math is the base layer of language. If you failed math, fuck. I'm sorry, you're an idiot. Mathematics makes the world work. And that's what Bitcoin is math and code. Full stop. Don't argue with math and don't argue with open source software, which is how Bitcoin is programmed. Mm. You're gonna lose every single time, according to Jack Maulers. And I agree with him. Mm. Open source software will win every battle. And that's the beauty of Bitcoin. Oh, you got me really inspired. I want to
0: go out and buy some right now.
1: (laughs) I mean, I I would take some profits in your game stock. Uh, You know, that's found money for you, buddy. I mean, (laughs) let me tell you, it's, you got lucky. There's, there's, it's better to be lucky than good, but you got pretty lucky and hats off to you. I will never take away someone who's made a profit on a investment or trade anyway. Remember though, your best trade would have been to buy the bonds before you bought the stock. Yeah. That's all good. You'll learn. The world will learn. They're going to hate Foss because Foss is an anti-GameStopper. No, no, no. I could have loved GameStop. I, I would have just bought the bonds before I bought the stock. Very simple.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems like a like a smart move. I mean, I will not be selling it because a. Even if I wanted to, I'm writing the book about it, and I feel like I have to like hold through to the end as such. <laughs> you know, to be no, to, you to don't. In look, there. look. You- I'm not think- criticizing you. Please, no.
1: let's make sure that we understand that you made money. Oh yeah. And I'm not going to tell you you were a donkey for making money. Okay, you made money. You just could have made more at less risk if you had bought a different part of the capital structure. Point final. Very simple. Mm. Let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll not. I'll not bore you with the the the
0: the the, 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 the wild theories of of uh, of super stonk as much as I love them. Um, okay. So <laughs> the the next thing I want to ask you actually, and I literally just saw it before I came on, is um, there's a, a gentleman who I've had on my show talking about modern monetary theory. It's called Steve Grumbine, and he I've just seen, and this is not the only person I've seen it from. It just was the person that popped to mind. Is is saying that the inflation that we're seeing at the minute, and maybe you're not sure on this, but he said the inflation we're seeing at the minute has nothing to do with the fiat ponzi scheme of printing money endlessly it says supply chain problems do you buy that at all i mean because the, the the for me the biggest motivation for buying bitcoin and um any other cryptocurrency really but mainly bitcoin is that it's a hedge against inflation and the sort of let's be careful of the currency let's
1: be careful bitcoin is a hedge against fiat debasement Fiat will debase whether you're in an inflationary environment or a deflationary environment. It has to debase because of the debt spiral. So I don't care whether he thinks inflation is as posted 6% or whether we use the 1980 formula for measuring inflation where it's actually over 14%. He's arguing about non-essential things. First of all, anyone who believes in modern monetary theory failed mathematics, okay? So you can congratulate your guy for failing math, okay? So well done, he failed the base layer of language. Now, if we're gonna to listen to his second layer language, which is the drivel coming out of his poop chute, then that's fine, okay? But you failed mathematics, you don't understand anything about inflation or deflation. And if you wanna argue over CPI, whether it should be 6% or 14%, You're looking at it all wrong. It's the fiat that is certain to debase. That is only math. To solve the debt spiral, you need to fill the void that your GDP tax base is not filling. How do you fill that void? You print money. And right now at total debt to GDP of over four times globally, it is impossible to escape the debt spiral purely because of the coupon on the debt doesn't have to do with any more fiscal deficits. It's over, over. And yet you got these MMT guys that are like, Oh, inflation this way. You guys are fucking idiots. Okay. You decided to print all this money, which is fine. It just means that the money is going down in value. That's pure mathematics. The, um,
0: the thing that, that, that I, yeah, first of all, I'm not, I'm not sold on modern monetary modern theory.
1: <laughs> I hope you're not, because it means you would have failed mathematics, and you told me you were actually good at math, okay? So don't be sold on something that Stephanie Kelton, who's never sat in a risk chair in her entire life, is convinced it will solve all problems. I'll tell these economics professors, go out and trade risk for real one day, and we'll see how you do in the real market your textbooks books aren't worth shit. Okay. Your fucking textbooks are garbage, Mm. but just because you get and publish this stuff and people believe in them, that is the crime at the scene right there. Mm. And I'm sorry, I got three kids. We got to listen to this drivel and it's leading us astray. Mm. No, I couldn't agree more. Um,
0: it's, like the yeah the i guess like ultimately we're going to see how how bad the theory is in the coming years after they've you know printed all the money and claimed
1: that it wouldn't hurt us but well uh, i guess look and it might it's just been like this for a hundred years though it's not like there's anything different we've been in modern monetary theory for the last 100 years why look at the performance of the u.s dollar it's debased. It's lost 93% of its purchasing power over the last 100 years. Call it what you want. You can dress it up. and But if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, chances are modern monetary theory is just some dressed up bozo policy from the past. Fiat currencies always fail because... The Fed and central bankers and politicians will always print more money in order to endear themselves to the populace. Mm. Study history. Don't call it modern monetary theory and then say it's different this time. <laughs> so when you say fiat has to debase, um,
0: when you first started saying that, I, I was under the impression you meant that it just it had to to like,
1: do you just mean it has to lose value because? No. The, OK, look, okay. they need to print more of it. Very simply, you have. You have to balance the books. And when your debt is growing on a contractual basis because of the coupon on the debt, when your debt balloon is four times the size of your economy and it's growing at 3%, let's just call 3% the average coupon on the debt, that means the debt balloon's growing at 12%, which means in order for your tax base just to keep up with your debt balloon, your global GDP needs to grow at 12% annually. Is that going to happen? No. Unlikely, right? Which means they need to fill the gap of your growth of your economy to your debt balloon by printing more money. Only mathematics. It's called the error term. You need to solve the error term of that debt spiral. Mm. It's not difficult. It's grade 11 math. Drink again, okay? (laughs) That's the second time I've said it. Grade 11 math. I mean, this is what it is.
0: Yeah, you I don't down,
1: know why down. it's so difficult for people to understand relative growth rates and the fact that when your numerator, which is your total debt burden, is four times the size of your global GDP, you're basically screwed. Mm-hmm. So like the...
0: The thing that is in my head when you say these um, say stuff like this, and again, I'm not arguing with the with the thesis. Uh, you, yeah, you, you're definitely well versed in it. So in my head, like you, you mentioned, actually at the very start, you said capitalism is based on leverage. Yes, sir. So for me, the the, the question then becomes: How do we how do we have a a, a system based on debt? Or do we even should we even have a system based on debt? First off, <laughs> but like I, I I think that like because to me debt is a great idea. It's hmm. it's it's like as, as long as, as you can afford it. Yeah, as long <laughs> as you can afford it. But it's like okay for me personally, it's not. I don't like I don't like owing money to people. But for okay. um, for a, a country or for an LLC or for an entrepreneur, like debt seems to be this wonderful invention that has allowed us to like grow unbelievably over the past hundred years as a, as a, as a species, like across the whole planet. Like yeah. not, this is not just like a Western thing. So uh, when you say this, it sounds to me like you're saying that we're kind of just borrowing all this growth from the future. Yes, we're
1: pulling forward productivity and, uh, gains at the expense of our children and future generations. Okay. So, I guess you call it greed, okay? Debt is the purest form of greed that can be exhibited by anybody running a federal or provincial balance sheet where they say, look, I want to stay in power for another four years. How am I going to do that? I'll issue more debt so that I endear myself to the populace so they'll they'll, uh, elect me for the next four years. Understand this, all right? Debt in a closed system, i.e. a company that has a... Uh, a projected amount of cash flows will enhance the return to the equity holders at a lower cost than raising more equity to fund a capital expenditure. There is an efficient amount of debt that exists for every uh, company that makes sense that you have a certain amount of leverage. But the banking system hundred years ago, Henry Ford said, if the average American understood how the banking system actually worked, mm-hmm. there'd be a revolution in the morning. And yeah. he's not wrong. Yeah, The banking system is 20 times levered. Your average corporation is three times levered and the banking system is 20 times levered. Come on. Don't you understand what that means? It means the banking system needs to be backstopped by the federal government in order to keep the machine going, in order to keep leverage in the system, in order to keep access to credit to the consumer so they can go out and buy stuff at time zero that they couldn't otherwise afford. That's what leverage is.
0: So what would your like what would your suggestion be? Sorry, say say hmm. Joe Biden gives you a call He's like come on man come down to the white house and he's like oh, yeah
1: no, now that's- how about we talk in uh, i've been i've given a, a presentation to 45 members of parliament in canada okay uh yeah let me tell you there's people asking good questions in my country um i'm not certain that joe biden knows where canada is okay so that's fine I don't think and he, knows he doesn't where need to is. because the the i'm sorry i said i don't think he knows where the bathroom is Uh, I can't go there. All right. I'll just tell you that uh, at the end of the day, uh, Canada is a rounding error on the global stage. And that's unfortunate, but it's true. Okay, we don't even have the entire population of our country doesn't even equal the population of California. OK, like it's like saying that California is going to set the world on fire and the U- the rest of the USA is not going to do anything like I love Canada. I'm a proud Canadian. I want Canada to punch above its weight. But the reality is we're a G7 nation that doesn't matter. OK, California, Texas is more important than Canada. So what would Joe Biden say to me? Oh, well, no, Mr. Foster, you say Joe Biden. pardon me what would you say to joe biden say i'd say joe biden that you are pushing on a string trying to do your fiscal uh uh you know uh, increase your fiscal deficits to fund your um your uh, uh trillion dollar infrastructure plan and everything like that why don't you in concert with pushing your fiscal deficits embrace bitcoin as your savings account the chinese have handed the West a beautiful gift on a platter. Communists are idiots. We see that time and time again, okay? And they have handed the West a very beautiful gift that the West can either embrace or it can push away. And my advice to Joe Biden would be embrace capitalism, embrace Bitcoin, and in the words of Robert Breedlove, Bitcoin is American as fuck. And it is. It is a beautiful technological innovation that will provide our generation to store the value of our time and energy in order to pass that along to our children, okay? You can have a savings account, which is Bitcoin, and you can have your checking account, which is your fiat currency, and the US dollar will maintain its, reserve currency status, but Bitcoin is going to become the world reserve asset. It will replace US treasuries as the store of value for future generations. Don't fight it. It's only math. Very simple. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, do do you think that's, that is like,
1: why do you- I can't be 100% certain, but I'm going to give you odds, okay? Right now, I'm going to play a little game called expected value analysis. I think the price of bitcoin should be two million dollars or more in today's dollars the price of bitcoin as it trades in the open market is sixty thousand dollars which means the market is telling me there's only a three percent chance that my two million dollars price target for bitcoin is likely to happen three percent three percent times two million is sixty thousand dollars okay which Taken to the next step means there's a 97% chance the market is telling me that Bitcoin is worth zero. So in a binary probability outcome, you have zero and you have $2 million. In reality, it's a continuous distribution, but we're going to play this game where there's only two outcomes. The market is telling me there's only a 3% chance Bitcoin hits my price target. And I'm like, dang, I told you I'm not 100% certain, but I'm way more than 3% certain. What if I was 30 or 40% certain. That means Bitcoin should be trading at $800,000, and it isn't. So what does FOSS do? FOSS says the odds the market have laid against my trade or on my trade are wrong, and I am going to buy Bitcoin until it hits my probability adjusted price target. And I'm not telling you that I'm a 40% likelihood, I'm probably higher. But the point is, it's got to go through eight hundred thousand before it hits one point two million, and eventually. Hmm.
0: Yeah. So, like uh, the I I I I see the like my uh, based on basically nothing except hype is uh, <laughs> expecting Bitcoin to hit a million in. 10 years. That's just okay. like where Look, I think it I do
1: mathematics. You do finger in the wind. Okay. Yeah, Yours basically. is finger in the wind. Mine is actual mathematics. And I'm not going to tell you that finger in the wind is wrong because you've shown that finger in the wind works yeah. when it comes to some of your equity investments. We're, we're rolling in the same direction here, Josh. Mm. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I'm just going to say, I prefer to do it with more rigor from the mathematics standpoint. OK, Oh yeah. much like I prefer to, to do it with more rigor when I have the chance of owning the bonds or the stock. If I think there's a chance that this company will skate through its financial distress. Hmm. You weren't wrong. Yeah. I'm not telling you you're wrong here. We're growing in the same direction. Is that fair?
0: Yeah, no, 100 percent. No, my my point was basically just that I think the the idea that there's a 97 percent chance it goes to zero.
1: Don't forget, Josh. I'm laying that out only as my scenario. Oh no, I I don't think it it, ever goes to zero. I think think that means that my price should be higher than sixty thousand bucks. Okay, and I could walk you through how to do proper expected value analysis using a continuous distribution. And all I'm saying is the price—the price of today's sixty thousand dollars per Bitcoin—is a rounding error, and people are overthinking it. That's what always happens. People overthink it. Use your probabilities. Understand that life is an expected value calculation, with one exception. I'm 100% certain the fiat dollars that you own in your pocket are going to be debased over time. That is pure mathematics as well. So don't hold your savings in these things called fiat dollars. You're going to lose, regardless of whether it's inflation or deflation. The fiat currency is going down in value. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, saving, a, 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 in, saving your money in fiat is, is bonkers. Like, I mean, I, I... Okay. So then what is a bond? A bond is a 10-year, let's say a 10-year bond is a 10-year savings instrument where you advance $100 at time zero and you get $100 back in 10 years. You get a coupon return on that. And let's say it's a US 10-year. So you get your 1.6% annual But in 10 years, when you get your $100 back that you gave them at time zero, what's that $100 worth? $65? Nothing, yeah. Less? Yeah. Bonds are for monkeys right now, okay? Donkeys. Yet pension allocators all over the world need to own bonds because their investment policy guidelines say they do. And here's the funniest thing. Some of them own negative (laughs) yielding bonds. Some of them guarantee that you'll lose money, and yet they still invest in it. On- on a nominal basis, not including the debasing of the fiat, you're going to lose money by investing in this bond. Wow, that's a great investment. You are guaranteed to lose money. Damn. Who are these pension allocators? And they, could they possibly be that illiterate on, in the basis of mathematics? Yeah, they can. Is there anyone shorting the
0: bond market?
1: Everyone short it. The problem is, you got not even the problem. There's people sitting on it. The Treasury that's keeping rates down. It's 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 suppressing yields from performing or from reflecting true market uh, uh, rates. And if. In the words of Stanley Druckenmiller, the US 10-year were allowed to trade freely. He thinks it would be at 4.5%, which means a 300 basis point increase in the price of, uh, sorry, in the yield on a 10-year bond. Everything else being equal, that translates to at least a $20 drop in the value of your 10-year bond. That's 20%, 20% if bond markets were allowed to uh, trade freely. His words, not mine. But I don't want to lose twenty percent on a bond contract in order to earn one and a half percent. That's for dummies. Yeah. That's
0: that's that's not even eleventh grade maths. That is that is like fifth grade math. <laughs> like...
1: Yeah, that's good. You could explain that to a fifth grader, I agree. Mm.
0: So the you mentioned there just briefly offhand about China's sort of rejection of, of crypto. Yeah, why do you think they did that if it's such a bad idea? Because like- it
1: challenges the uh, the power of the elites, right? So China has done this uh, historically. Uh, there was a time when China's navy was the, uh, or not navy, but merchant fleet was the most powerful sailing fleet in the world. The elites at the time viewed the up and coming, uh, emerging uh, merchant fleet populace. That were gaining wealth as being a challenge to their their, uh, power. So, guess what they did? They went out and they burned all the charts. They burned the ability of the Chinese merchant fleet to uh, sail around the world and create trade. So, guess who took over? You know, it was the British. And uh, they've done that in the past and they'll do it again. So that's why I say, and now you have a communist regime over there, and, but it's the same thing. It's run by the elites and there was a challenge to their uh, power. And so they decided to get rid of Bitcoin mining, which in my opinion is a gift. Once again, it's a gift to the uh, North or to the Western uh, countries. We should embrace that gift. Okay. Because I'm a capitalist with a heart. Okay, I understand the importance of social uh, programs to help people that are not as uh, privileged as some of the people at the top of the uh, the spectrum. But that being said, communism does not work, full stop. And when communism provides capitalism with the gift that they have, you're supposed to take it, you're supposed to smile and say, thank you very much, Mr. Xi. You've proved once again, that you are trying to protect your elitist group at the expense of the rest of your population, and hopefully to the benefit of the West. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I really hope my friend Toby
0: is listening to this. He's going to be loving the communist bashing because they love to joke about me being a communist. Um, because oh, I, really? Yeah, because I mean, my my friends have this amazing stereotype of me that I'm both like um, uh, a big society conservative, um, which would have been yeah, the the right in in Britain. Um, and I'm also a communist at the same time. It's it, it,
1: communist it, or, or you're a capitalist with a heart. You want to help people that are less fortunate. there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, you cannot, you, you need it to happen efficiently. You cannot impose that upon a population. Cause if you impose it upon a population, no one feels like working. Everyone feels like sitting on the dole. Right. So, you know, it's, it's a, a delicate balance, but as I said to you, I'm a capitalist with a heart as well. Okay. And you should be allowed to make your own decisions in terms of your philanthropic endeavors. It should not be imposed upon you by the government or the powers that be, because then no one aspires to be, uh, in the position to be philanthropic. They'll just say, well, the government will do it for me. Yeah. So, you know, look, I don't want to get into much of a political thing. I don't think you're a communist, Josh. I think you're probably, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, give me a sec my microphone just
0: uh oh don't worry i'll just say actually while while you while you fix that um is that my my views on the state have changed significantly over the past 2 years um and my views on what is the best way for us to make everyone in the world richer have also changed quite significantly when i find out that hundred year or two hundred. It's either a hundred or two hundred years ago. That eighty-eight percent of the world lived in absolute poverty, and now it's three percent, and we're expecting that to be gone by the year twenty thirty. And all of that has been done solely by the by consumer capitalism. Like the, there is no other explanation for it. And and for me, that is the best way to that I have seen to provide people with uh, good paying jobs. Uh, financial security and their the ability to make their life what they want that, that's the and for me that's that's what i want to people to have you know yeah and so so i like i
1: i've, I've well been, so yeah. so here's the thing right you can be a fiscal conservative and a social democrat right you can want both sides of the aisle and that's what i think most north americans want in my opinion they want to help the less fortunate, provided the whole population doesn't tumble into disarray. If you're trying to help the less fortunate, you need to do it with a certain amount of, uh, I'll call it conservatism. It It can't just happen all at once. You know, Margaret Thatcher said many years ago, you know, that capitalism is the Worst, or democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the other forms, I think, to paraphrase her. Um, and capitalism, take an extension of that. Capitalism is the worst form of economics, except for all the other forms as well. Uh, it works over time, it works, the incentives are there. It's not perfect, but what you cannot do is print yourself to prosperity. That is mathematically impossible. And while you may gain votes in the short term, because people find extra fiat dollars in their bank account, long-term it punishes them. And the people that it punishes the most are the people at the bottom of the spectrum that do not have other hard assets that maintain their value in the face of a depreciating dollar. So what are those other hard assets? Typically, it's been gold, real estate. Your house isn't going up in value, Josh. It's the number of units of the... Uh, fiat currency or the unit of account that it takes to buy that same house. Because why? Because the value of that unit of account has been debased. I don't know how else to say it. Bitcoin is the most perfect asymmetric investment opportunity I've ever seen. And it solves all the problems of politicians who try and print their way to prosperity doesn't work. Bitcoin is the solution to the Fiat Ponzi. It brings fiscal discipline to the table and it will change the lives for billions of people in this world that are not privileged, that are still unbanked, that still have no access to banking, but they do have a phone and that phone will allow them to transact value anywhere in the world Mm -hmm. in 10 minutes. Yeah. decentralized not controlled by anyone if you can't get that through your head as to the beauty of what that allows then i'll tell you maybe you are a communist but i don't <laughs> think you are i think you're socialist and you understand the benefits of that yeah
0: yeah i mean i just i i i yeah my my political views are very difficult to pin down i i, I believe don't even does. let's not even do it because yeah. it's just
1: it'll you know there's there's the 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 most important thing is we can solve the future for our children. And right now I'm a boomer and I'm part of the most selfish generation ever known to planet Earth, okay? We're scared, we're soft, and we're pulling forward gains at the expense of our children. That doesn't make me happy. Mm. How do you look as a parent when you say, say your kids, well, I had a great life, but you guys are pooched because you know I decided to make my life even greater. Mm. What a bunch of soft knuckleheads, right? <laughs> yes, that's what you are, boomers. Yes. You're a bunch of soft knuckleheads. And they call us
0: snowflakes, you know.
1: <laughs> What's that mean?
0: Uh, like, oh, have you not heard this? The the millennials are all snowflakes, so we're very precious little things that are, you know, com- uh, very fragile. Whoever said little.
1: that, whatever. Uh, look, uh-huh. the ones to blame are the boomers, okay? The ones to blame are the Steve Hankies of the world. A soft, soft... Squishy, old, whatever, fill in the blank. He is an embarrassment to capitalism. He's an embarrassment to honesty. And then I'll extend it a little bit where you get guys like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger who called Bitcoin rat poison. Okay, it's rat poison, fellas. And guess what the rat is? Fiat. And why would you say it was rat poison? Because you own all the banks and all the things that are going to be disintermediated by a Bitcoin standard. So simple to see. So easy to see their conflicted nature. I'm calling them out. Look, someone has to do it. Everyone thinks he's a hero. He may well have been, but he's lying through his teeth right now. Yeah,
0: as if he doesn't understand. The uh, someone's made a great uh, put a great question in the in the comments. Actually, it's, it's sprung to my head. So thanks for for saying it. Um, what's the name? BTC Whiplash. Um, he has pointed out, or she, or they um have pointed out that the 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 point you made about china and bitcoin about it being banned because it's a challenge to the power of the elites you basically questioned whether that may see bitcoin banned in the us canada or parts of the west like do you see that as a thing happening cuz I, I have a i have a similar fear um if i'm if i'm totally honest you know i i just see them going well okay boys uh, that's it game's over you know because how though
1: how do they ban it
0: i'm not sure i mean they, they're trying they turn the internet off
1: yeah well okay so we're going to turn the internet off wow you think there's unrest because of lockdowns try turning the internet off okay don't overthink this people yes it's a risk but the smart politicians will embrace it do we have stupid politicians 100 we have stupid politicians those will be the people that try and ban it my optimism stems from politicians that actually get it, including the 45 members of parliament in Canada that have taken it upon themselves to study the beautiful the beauty of Bitcoin and the solutions it can provide to our future children. Okay? You got idiots who are intellectually lazy, some of them are conflicted, and then you got people that want to do the work, want to understand how to solve the problems that we've basically uh, brought upon ourselves, and I, I, I just, you know, I think we should wrap it up soon because I'm going to get so much hate mail. I, I generally try not to be this negative on the on the the political establishment, but my God, there's some stupid people out there. And yes, it's a risk when you get the office of the controller of the currency, the candidate for the office of the controller of the currency, who by the way is communist, saying stuff like well, maybe we should be allowed to short stocks and control the prices of stocks when we think stock prices are too high or too low. Wait, who said this? What her name? Uh, the Chinese lady that, that is the candidate for the Office of the Controller of the Currency for Osama, not Osama, but it, Omavra or something like that rhymes with uh, it, it. The point is this. She has been on tape fessing that she thinks that the Fed should be able to control the prices of stocks. That's I'm not well. sure I want to live in that world where you get an uh, office of the controller of the currency spewing out that type of uh, controlism and uh, centralism. Uh, that is dangerous. Let's uh, try and make sure that doesn't happen.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, well, I
0: couldn't agree more. I mean, the, um, the thing I can say is that. With your anti-establishment talk here, you are well and truly preaching to the choir. This is literally my my entire angle. Um, I think that the establishment have um, have been fucking us for four years. And how many years? Uh, I would say about forty, probably more. Forty. But, um,
1: okay, forty. Then you 40, know what? Yeah. yeah, it's at least forty. Yeah. it's it's more. Okay, it's yeah. fifty-eight. Because that's how long I've been in, uh, been alive for, and it's longer than that as well. Mm. I mean, I tend to look at the
0: the nineteen eighties or the late seventies, early eighties as a real turning point. Um, nineteen
1: seventy one. Let's talk fact. Mm. When the U.S. went off the gold standard, that's when everything unraveled. And what was nineteen seventy one? To be very clear, it was a default by the United States a default on their obligations to the rest of the world. So don't tell me the USA can never default because it has mm. in 1971. Yeah. Okay.
0: So we said we were going to wrap this up. So the last question I have for you is basically is your attraction to Bitcoin because of the the finite sort of, yeah, the finite number of Bitcoins that can exist combined with the proof of work uh, sort of model. Like, is there any other... Well, let's go through it, right? So
1: if you were a gold bug, Bitcoin is more portable, it's more divisible, it's more verifiable, it's more transferable, and more than anything, it's based on mathematics and code, okay? The base layer of language. It's better in all fronts. I'm not telling you don't own gold, but if you own gold and don't own Bitcoin, I think you've lost the plot a little you were nine you're you're running down the field and you're at the one yard line or the one meter line you're gonna score your try okay for you rugby guys and you fumble the ball because you're such a moron okay that you get everything right except you're attaching yourself to the wrong horse gold worked in the past bitcoin just happens to be a better horse okay and that's why you need to own hard assets so if you're gonna own Fiat currencies, you're the dumbest of the dumb. But then you can go into other hard assets. And all I'm saying is your mixture of hard assets better include some Bitcoin because it's the best horse at the race. But do you not own real estate? No, I own some real estate. Do you not own gold? Look, I own some gold as well, some silver as well. But I own more Bitcoin because Bitcoin is the best horse in the race. Again, why? We'll go through it. Portable. Can't move your house if you need to get out of somewhere quick. Carrying around a gold bar is not the easiest thing. Bitcoin, you know how to take that with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Transferable. Try and go to, do me a favor, go to your bank and try and send money using the Swift bank system somewhere around the world. It is a joke. Okay. Well, Bitcoin, you can send it anywhere in 10 minutes. Transferability um verifiability math and code how much fool's gold is there out there or tungsten that's painted as uh as uh, a gold bar and by the way when's the last time fort knox was audited i don't think they that oh, have- that would be never never yeah okay is there any gold in fort knox i don't know no one has <laughs> audited it uh and then you just go through the check marks and you just go okay i sort of get it If I own zero Bitcoin, I'm taking more risk than if I own a proper portfolio allocation. Figure out what that portfolio allocation is because you will reduce your risk and increase your portfolio expected returns by owning a proper amount of Bitcoin. Very simple portfolio theory. Spent my life doing it. Don't overthink this. Yes, all these sorts of horrible things can happen, But those probabilities are infinitesimally small compared to the positive outcomes that can also occur
0: Mm -hmm. i mean and even if even if they ban it have you heard of a vpn
1: (laughs) how about this if they ban it who's the country that doesn't and reaps all the benefits and everyone will probably move there exactly okay don't don't overthink this look the usa is very smart they are the most important nation in the world for a reason they're the biggest economy, they have the strongest military, they have the freest markets. Bitcoin is freedom of speech. Bitcoin is math and code. It's the first amendment. I don't know if you want to change the first amendment of the United States. I would suggest there'll be people that yeah, will rise up against that. Don't tempt people with I'm not just United- <laughs> understand. Don't overthink it Josh. I got to run. That's all it's right. has been a Great.
0: pleasure it's been an absolute uh, pleasure Thanks. thank
1: you from belfast and one of the or from canada one of the things i wanted to mention i own that uh, eight irish pubs i'm a part owner of eight irish pubs in montreal no way so i'm a big fan of belfast and the uh the beautiful beers that come out of that uh out of that fine uh part of the world yeah well the north of the northern ireland we're, we're more known for our
0: whiskeys Bushmills whiskey that's okay the, that's the one but yeah um Greg, thank you so much. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been hilarious and fabulously uh, educational. So uh, take care, man. It's uh, thank you so much for having me, and uh, I look forward to the, our next chat. Okay? Yeah, sounds good, man. Talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. Have a great day. In the month of November, I'm going to be running a giveaway contest for the subscribers of this podcast. You can win some advanced copies of my book, signed of course, a GameStop voucher worth $50 or a one-year subscription to Riverside.fmpro worth a whopping $288. All you have to do is follow the steps in the description below. You can follow me on Twitter, sign up to my mailing list or share the contest with friends. All you have to do is follow the steps in the description below. You can follow me on Twitter, sign up to my mailing list or share the contest with friends. In the month of November, I'm going to be running a giveaway contest for the subscribers of this podcast. You can win some advanced copies of my book, signed of course, a GameStop voucher worth $50 or a one-year subscription to Riverside.fmpro worth a whopping $288. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the video. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe and leave a comment for us in the comments below. Let me know what you thought and if you'd like to see more of this from the show. Thank you and we'll see you again next time.